am Chris, and this is my Writing Table podcast, where we talk to authors and other creatives about the writing world and what it takes to create the books that we love to read. Ready? Pull up a chair and let's begin. Elisa Grissel Dickey is a former journalist who now works in higher education communications. Though she grew up in northern Minnesota, Elisa now lives in South Dakota with her husband and children. She has shared her journey of living with multiple sclerosis through blog posts for the National MS Society. The Speed of Light is her debut novel, and her second novel is Iris in the Dark. Welcome, Elisa. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. You and I are in a unique club. As we were talking about before, both of us live with MS. Three of the four sisters in my family have it. You shared your journey by blogging for the National MS Society prior to writing your novels. How did blogging help you cope? I feel like putting your story out there helps you process it a little more and helps also in making other people not feel as alone. It was a way for me to reflect back. I couldn't immediately start blogging. Like if I was diagnosed, and then a week later would have said, yes, I'll blog. There's no way I could have done that because there was so much like processing time and fear and, and everything. And there's still that sometimes. But I mean, once I was distanced from the actual diagnosis, I was able to look back and think, okay, what helped me when I was first diagnosed or what challenges did I see when I was first diagnosed that might help someone else or especially parenting. I have three kids. My stepdaughter is older, but my two boys at the time were six and one and a half. And so I feel like wow, we've gone from that to now 10, almost 15 and almost 24. So it's like their level of comprehension is still, for my little ones, still harder, but but just knowing how much to tell them without scaring them. I remember one, because I put it in a blog post too, was to tell or not to tell, because it is awkward and you feel like sometimes you'd be fine telling it to someone, but then you immediately start crying or, you know, you just don't know how we're going to react. When my youngest was six and we had someone visit that I hadn't seen in a while, he just blurted out, my mom has to take shots every day, <laughs> like forever or something like that. And I was like, well, I was going to mention. And so it's, it's <laughs> icebreaker, but it's also like icebreaker. <laughs> like he didn't latch on to really anything about it, except that how terrible it would be, you know, as a six-year-old to have to take shots for the rest of your life. Me process it, but I hope it's also helped, especially other parents with ideas or even just camaraderie and what you're going through. I see your expression and I get what you're saying. My kids were three and five when I was diagnosed. And then I have two stepdaughters who were in their preteens and they were so awesome on days when I couldn't be what I wanted to be for them. And you don't have the wherewithal to tell people your story then. And then years later, whether things kind of settle down or you just, then you can tell your story. And I remember people would say, oh, did you hurt your leg? Because I limped. Something wrong with your leg? And I'd go, so then I was like, okay, I have to tell them. And then I kind of got a sense of humor about it years later when it would flare up. One time I was not real fond of this woman anyway. She (laughs) said, what you did to your leg? And I said, I have MS. (laughs) You need like a t-shirt that says that or something. And I said, I do. And then I kind of laughed it off like, ah, last time she asked me that question. Going from the blog to writing novels, what was that process? 
I started the blog first. I can't say for sure when it crossed my mind to write a novel with a character with MS. I had written two manuscripts prior and signed with my agent with one of those. But unfortunately, with publishing the way it is, they did not sell at the time. And so that would have been like three or four years after my diagnosis. Mm -hmm. I finally was like, I'm going to write this kind of for me. I'm going to give this character MS. And it was kind of like the first time I was brave enough to do it. And also, like I said, it was after the fact, like I couldn't have right away written a manuscript about someone with MS because I'd had the diagnosis, but I hadn't lived with it yet, obviously. that it started out just very personal and I wrote it kind of for myself, but it definitely grew into more. MS is so individual. And so I know that it's not going to tell everyone's journey, but I hope that people can see themselves a little bit or see their story reflected. And I've gotten some nice messages that it has resonated with people with chronic illness. Because ultimately, that's what I want is I want people to see themselves and see that we have MS or we, you know, we're disabled. We can be the heroes of our own stories. We deserve our happily ever after just as we are. You've written two novels and kind of touched on your debut. Can you tell us a little bit about The Speed of Life? Yes. Women's fiction with flashes of romance and suspense. And that's kind of what I feel gravitated toward in my stories. But it's dual timeline and it covers a year in the life of a woman who is grappling with her MS diagnosis new love in a terrifying workplace incident. Basically, it starts in the present and the main character, Simone, is getting her first follow-up MRI and has, you know, kind of the anxieties with that, but then goes into work and this scary thing happens. Spoiler alert, I guess, there's a shooting. And so as she, it happens pretty quickly. It's probably better that people know as she's hiding from this, she's reflecting back. First thing she thinks is, Connor, I'm sorry, I love you. And so then it flashes back previous year where she meets Connor at Christmas time and has just been diagnosed. So as she's going through all of these emotions of this new diagnosis and this new vision of her future she hadn't planned, she's meeting this wonderful guy. And so it flashes then back and forth, past and present to kind of how that impacted their relationship in ultimately negative ways because of her doubts and fears. And then it keeps going through the year until ultimately the two timelines intersect. Cool. And do any more Very spoilers. <laughs> so how did you celebrate when your debut was sold? There was a lot of disbelief, I feel like, at the time. Oh, I don't remember. I'm sure that, the, you know, my husband and the kids and I, you know, made a cake or did something like celebratory, you know, definitely also calling my parents, calling my sisters and my best friends and everyone that has supported me throughout this. The writing journey is long and also there's my diagnosis journey on top of it. And so it's like everyone that has supported me in all of those. It was, it was definitely a very emotional celebration. Your next book that comes out this summer is Iris in the Dark. So tell us yeah. about that. So it's a lot different. This one leans even maybe a little bit more towards suspense or, you know, mm -hmm. suspenseful women's fiction, but there's still that romantic component. It's not about MS. There is a character with MS. I do want to write more stories with, I mean, I want to write a lot more stories, obviously, as all writers do, but, but I want to write another one with the main character having MS, just because it's very important to me to have that representation. This one, there is a character with it. It is not the main character, but Iris is an overprotective single mother. And she reluctantly agrees to house sit at her boss's hunting lodge with her son. And so some unexpected things occur. And some of it is kind of positive. There's this handsome caretaker that she hits it off with. But at nice. the same time, yeah, the suspenseful part of it is where her son has found this old box of toys. And in the middle of the night, she hears cries for help over a walkie talkie. And then they get increasingly personal. And she realizes that 
her worst fear, which is her scary past, has come back. And now she has to deal with figuring out who this is and kind of finally facing her past. The title is very interesting. Where does the title come from? Both in the fact that this is happening in the dark, but also the character really likes the dark at the beginning. It's kind of the time where she finally feels safe, ironically, where she doesn't have to have all the fears because there's a lot of like fears with motherhood in it. And I feel like I gravitated first toward the character in this one where I feel like know this person or have been this person at some times in my own case where they're super snoopy or super overprotective and they just, someone has to say something about this type thing. And, and at first when I thought of this character, I'm like, oh, she would make a good villain. And then I'm like, no, actually she would make a nice, flawed, relatable protagonist. I thought of her first and I thought, This type of character would really like the dark, the nighttime, because she's hiding from her past, but also she gets to hide from her fears finally when everyone, her son's safe in bed and she doesn't have to worry about him. So there's a lot of, you know, kind of the metaphor of coming out of the dark for her in this book. You've got the speed of light and then Iris in the dark. And I was going to ask you about that metaphor of light and dark and if that was purposeful. I would love for it to be like, yes, I planned that. I did notice that where I'm like, oh, wow, those two titles. It's like I planned that and I didn't, but they're both metaphorical and fitting as far as the speed of light. It has to do with Simone and Connor are both Star Wars fans. So there's that. Oh, fun. Mentions it because when they meet on the side of the road, because there's a blizzard and she mentions the phenomenon, especially in the Midwest here growing up, when you're driving in the dark through a blizzard, it looks like, you know, flying at light speed. So mm-hmm. there's that. But ultimately, the title means how quickly life can change, how in an instant you go from healthy to not healthy mm-hmm. or you're single to meeting the love of your life or you're at work and then there's a shooter. So there's kind of that how quickly life can change and how little control we have over a lot of it. Reminds me of that song. There's a line in it that says, we're all just one phone call from dropping to our knees. Oh yeah. Uh, Matt, I can't think of it either. I will find it and I will send it to you. But anyway, it's that that quick things can can turn. You can see the lines that are highlighted a lot in your book. And I'm going to, I'm going to misquote myself here. But it's like, we're all on the edge of a cliff without realizing it. One move can send us over or pull us back. And you just don't even realize it. Tell me about your process. I don't know when imposter syndrome goes away because I feel like, what is my process? (laughs) Because I try to have a set writing schedule. But ultimately, I work full time and have kids who are still school age. And so it feels like mom's going to write every night. No, mom's not going to write every night. Because as we talked about living with chronic illness and fatigue sets in, it's like, mm-hmm. whereas I used to be able to stay up a little bit later writing, that just does not happen, especially during the week for me. <laughs> I try to write as much as I can. And so I'm definitely a proponent of, you are a writer. If you write, it doesn't matter how often. You try to do it every day, but I would say a lot of writers like me cannot write every day. I try to fit in writing in the evening when I can. It used to be after the kids are in bed, but now that my kids are a little older, it's after my youngest is in bed and before my older son goes to bed. But then on the weekends is when I try to do it. And it's, okay, mom is going to go upstairs for a couple of hours. Or now that things have opened up again, I have a friend in town who were critique partners on a Saturday. We might say, okay, let's take four to six hours and go sit at the coffee shop and work on our projects. So that really helps. I'll bet. How do you plan out your novels? I used to say I'm a reformed pantser or like a a planter or whatever the middle ground would be, but I'm definitely over into the fully plotting side now, just because it really helps keep me on track. My very first novel, I just pantsed it, maybe wrote down a few ideas, but it took a long time and it was 150,000 words. And 
of brilliance, I'm sure, <laughs> but it was not, you know, <laughs> it took a lot of editing and still revising is key. I like beat sheets, like Save the Cat style beat sheets, mm-hmm. because I find it almost fun then to outline where it's like, okay, act one, what is this? What is the, you know, and then, ooh, the darkest moment, you know, things like that, where it's almost like making it fun for myself. Like a game. Yeah. Just interviewed Jessica Brody, who did the Save the Cat for Novels. I have her book Um, and I love it. I had so many people talking about it and I kind of thought I had a system in place, but then it kept sounding so good that I finally listened to the audiobook. I was like, oh, this is like changing everything I do. So it was really fun to have her on and talk to her about it. I bet. Because it keeps you on track. That's what I feel like. Mm -hmm. Because obviously you deviate from it sometimes, or sometimes if you've already written it, you're like, well, that could kind of go to that. Like you kind of fit it in, but it's still, I feel like it keeps you honest. and makes you think, okay, is this needed? Is this part too long? For me, at least that's been part of the benefit of it. You said you wrote that first one. It was 150,000 words. Yeah. What did you get it down to? I was in Pitch Wars back in mm-hmm. 2016. So I can't remember what it was going into Pitch Wars, but it was under a hundred because I did like a webinar and they're like, you know, debut novelist. <laughs> There's no reason you should be over a hundred thousand. So I'm like, all right, that's the goal. So I got it below that. But then ultimately when it went on sub with my agent, it was like 80,000-ish, I think. So there was some tightening going on and I learned how to revise much better in pitch wars. (laughs) I hear over and over. I have to cut about 80 to 100,000 per book. Lori Frankel said she cuts about 300,000 words a book. Oh Astra, so your books are fabulous. What are you cutting? She said, if I knew what I was putting in there that I shouldn't, yeah. I would save so much time. <laughs> yeah, because I honestly feel like I've gone the opposite way now. After that first one, it's like I scared myself straight or something because <laughs> after that, my first drafts now are like 65 to 70,000 ish in there and they get up to probably 75. And Pitch Wars was great. I keep talking about it, but it, it helped me with pacing and understanding the importance of pacing. Mm-hmm. That's the difference maybe for me now is I'm able to see, okay, I love this part, but it's a darling. And I have like tons of documents where I keep all these things I've cut. And sometimes I have used them again, but you know, it's like a graveyard for the words that you love that you have to get rid of. I do feel like I'm the opposite where I'm like, oh, wow, this is a really lean story. Is this even enough? And you fill it out as you go and revise it. I'm at a point with my third book that I'm scared of the word count because my other books have been around 92 to 94,000. And I felt like that was a good place. Then I talked to Carly Waters. She's an agent with PS Literary. She said, that right now because of COVID and people are just, their attention spans are shorter. She encouraged authors to write no more than like 85,000. Okay. And so I keep trying to shoot for like 80, 85 and it scares the dickens out of me. Cause I'm like, what am I forgetting? Because you don't want to cut something. And that is something that my agent had said to it. I'm an editor, I think as well, that whatever tells the story. So it's like, you know, you don't want to be like, oh no, I have to get it to this, you know, because what if you cut something crucial or something, but (laughs) It's so hard to know. And that's something too, where I'm like, wow, I thought it was complete. And then they had all these great ideas. And then you think it's complete again. And then there's more great ideas. I even had where in a book club I went to, they're like, oh, I wish this was more explained. And I'm like, oh, I thought it was, but it got taken out. You know, like, so that is like the nightmares happen. And it's like, okay, well, sorry. Prior to beginning your writing career, what movies or novels made you want to write? Through the course of my life, I feel like there's been different times Cause I was the kid that always had a book in her hand, like, you know, and it's almost hard to remember or pick a favorite because I would just like, I'd go to the bookmobile or mail a book and do all that and read it. Cause I lived in a small town. 
as I got older, I re- like the ones I kind of just remember even now, The Handmaid's Tale by Margaret Atwood. I mean, she's just amazing. And reading mm-hmm. that in college was just, I don't know what it was, but it, I just loved it. Like the writing style and the kind of, you know, at that point I hadn't read anything dystopian or apocalyptic or, you know, and I loved it. It's like a core memory for me for some reason, but I don't know that it's spurred me necessarily but I do feel like later on then, as an English major, I read so much in college. And then I felt like I almost rebelled against it after. Mm-hmm. And also just life gets busy. You're working and you have kids and everything. And so I didn't read a lot. And the books that got me back into reading, plus also made me think I could do this, are were the Twilight series and mm-hmm. the Hunger Games series. And the Hunger Games remains one of my favorites just because it was super well written and just great. I know I should probably say like huge works of literature. No, you know what? Your answer is common. I've had so many authors tell me, they say it like apologetic, like, oh, I was reading this thing I shouldn't be reading. You know, it's not like you're saying, well, I read Fifty Shades and that's what got me into writing. And if, and if that works for you, great. Yeah, yeah. But, right. but I, I get that. that response like, oh, it was Twilight. It was a dynamic story. It pulled yeah. you in. At that point in my life, when I had young kids and no, you know, even no energy, like, you know, now I feel that way too, but for different reasons, but, but just time-wise, I'm like, I can't, I don't have time to read, but I wanted to, it kept me hooked in. Like, this is what I want to do. And the stories were accessible enough. It made me think I can do this too. You know, I think that's what really got me back in. What is next for you? I always have, I don't know if you're this way too, but I always have like different story ideas that, you know, or, or like characters that pop in and stuff. So there are a few different story ideas that I'm kind of working on and floating around. But the one that is rising to the top is, again, it's it's kind of women's fiction that's kind of suspenseful slash romantic. And it's set in Ireland because, Fun. yeah, and it's based on my experience, but not because I always feel like I take my own experience and then say, what if something terrible happened? Because that's what I did is I'm like, okay, so I went and studied broad 20 some years ago. And that's what I'm having, that these characters studied abroad 20 years ago, but their trip ended with a tragic death. And so 20 years now in current times, they're, they're going to go back and, well, something resurfaces and maybe that death wasn't an accident. There's going to be a handsome Irishman and things like that. So that's kind of where I am. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I'm terrible at elevator pitches. But. Just send a description today to someone and it it's like typed like five lines. And I said, okay, that is not a log line. Just know, I know it's not a log line. <laughs> it's not a log line. There's kind of, there's kind of this. And- yeah. Yeah. And, and it'll make you feel this way. And, <laughs> yeah, exactly. and there's going to be a handsome, you know, and then yeah. there's this. That's always good. <laughs> yeah. But I just have to have the handsome. Yeah. Hmm, whatever. Whatever. Yeah. What are you reading now? I right now and it's downstairs, but I'm reading Love Lists and Fancy Ships by Sarah Grunder Ruiz. It's a book that it's like I knew I was going to love it. She's a fellow 2021 debut. I bought it when it came out, but you know how your TBR pile is? It's just like a, a mountain. Really? So I finally. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's just part of it. <laughs> I picked it up the other day and I'm like, I was right. I was going to love it. I love it. It's about a young woman, young to me, she's turning 30. And she works on a, like a yacht, like a super yacht. So she's like a stewardess. So that's kind of just a cool, you know, lifestyle. And and it's sad, like there's some loss in her family. So there's definitely a sad component to it, but it's also fun. And like, she's caring for her nieces for the summer, plus trying to do this bucket list items that she's doing. And there's a handsome chef and the handsome ex is 
the mm-hmm. chef or whatever. And so, yeah, it's just really good. I really love it. And then next up is an arc that I just got and I'm excited mm-hmm. um, for She's Up to No Good by Sarah Confino. She wrote For the Love of Friends. It's one of my favorite reads from last year. Super funny. A woman who's in like five or six weddings kind of all at once and she has to manage like bridezillas and all of it. And it's super fun. So her next one is coming out, I think in August, if I remember right. Sorry, keeping all this straight, but I'm excited for that one. But at first, it's kind of nice to have like multiple books you're excited to read, mm-hmm. like a treat at the end of the day. <laughs> have you read Trish Doler's Float Plan? No, but she's another fellow debut. And, you know, I feel like that's on my TBR list too. Is it? Is I it think you would like that. The book that you are enjoying about yeah. the bucket list and yeah. then the a Handsome Irishman. Yeah, that's all I'm going to say, but no, um, gonna, okay, it's, it's really good. I, I research I'm an, for my next book. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking. And the audiobook is great. I'm a big audiobook fan. And so I, am too. I find I can get a lot more done if I'm, if yep. I'm listening to books while I'm putting dishes away and yep. then I can come back and work on my stuff. I agree. Love them. What do you wish you had known before you began writing fiction? Like, I don't know if I would want to know this. It's going to take longer than you think type thing. I'm glad I didn't know because you don't want to go in saying this is going to, you know, like as a newly graduated college senior thinking I want to write books, but I have to get a job type thing. I wouldn't want to know it's going to take me 20 years or something, (laughs) but I would want to know that it's worth it. You're going to be just as excited, even though you're old or older when it happens, it's going to be exciting no matter what. It's going to be worth the wait. When you sit down to write, it's like, you know, you don't know what you're doing, but then you think you do know on some level what you're doing. And then Five years later, you're like, oh my gosh, I did not know what I was doing. Right. So you do, you learn so much. And so the time is worthwhile. It is. And life experience too. Like I would have written different stories, obviously, if I would have been published back then. But at the same time, I'm glad for the experience I've had in my life to be able to write the stories I am now. What would you tell someone considering tapping out a story for the very first time? I think I would just say, you got this. You can do it. Don't give up. Don't filter yourself right from your heart, write what you want to write, but then step back, take some time and edit without mercy. (laughs) Had people tell me that too, like, oh, I wouldn't want an editor to edit my work. You have the vision. Part of me is like, are you kidding me? They're geniuses. And, and it's like, you're telling yourself the story, but if you want to tell others, you need this expert here to help you make sure it comes through. Cause there's times I'm sure that this is clear what this means. And they're like, no, nobody knows what you're saying. <laughs> Fix this, you know. So, but well, the editor is kind of like a translator. Exactly. No, that's a great way to say it. Perfect. Yeah. But yeah, so I would say, don't be afraid to write from your heart. Don't edit yourself. Don't filter yourself. But then be strong enough to step back and come back with a more critical eye. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This has been so fun. I really appreciate it. To learn more, visit elisadickey.com. If you're enjoying The Writing Table, please consider leaving us a review. There are so many podcasts out there. Reviews help other listeners find us. Thanks so much for your support.